Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we talk about the second film in the new Star Trek generation, which is Star Trek Into Darkness. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everyone, and welcome in to episode 195 of Film Tank. As always, Alex Diekman with you, along with Nick Cheney. Hello. Hello. Hi. You caught up with us there. Sure did. Had to reboot. Yeah? Yep. Does that happen often? Um, only when I have to fart. Very well. Also joining us <laughs> on this wonderful episode is Tucson Egan. Happy to be aboard, Captain. Thank you. Whatever your title is. This is the USS Film Tank. <laughs> USS Film Tank. I am very proud to be a uh, submarine. <laughs> oh, boy. On the ship. See. Okay. Wow, okay. <laughs> okay. Today, on this particular episode, uh, I will say, as I sometimes do, mm-hmm. I'm the one who forced everybody to do an episode on this. Yay! Mostly because I wanted to talk about what is pretty unanimously the most divisive film in the new Star Trek uh, era. Divisive yep. implies that there's a large subsection of people on both sides. Um, okay. I'm just saying divisive. You're like Mal Reynolds from Firefly. It's just like, oh, I was on the losing side. Still not sure if I was on the wrong one. Okay. No, I just meant divisive usually is like, ah, never mind. I don't know. I will say this. Over mm-hmm. the years yeah. on this podcast, yeah. in the very few times Star Trek has come up, um, there's been a negative opinion about this film. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I think this is actually quite good film. Mm-hmm. So... What film are we talking about? The one I just referenced, which <laughs> oh, okay. is Star Trek Into Darkness. Thank you. I don't think you had said the title, so I think... Oh, yes. had I? You oh. said a second. Okay. I, yeah. Okay. Well... I'm, I'm going to give you both points. I appreciate the effort, <laughs> nevertheless. You. I'm going to win the house cup. Good luck with you on the House Cup. Yeah. Well, okay. unless you're in Gryffindor, you don't got a snowball's chance in a very warm place. Mm. Hmm. Mm. Probably not. Yeah. He probably also would not be allowed to put his name in the cup. Yeah. So. Good thing I am a Hufflepuff. No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know if I'm more embarrassed that you <laughs> made that declaration or that you walked it back. <laughs> 
I can't remember the fucking houses. I just remember Gryffindor. I remember Slytherin. I remember Hufflepuff. And okay. I can't remember the last one. So that's 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 a majority. Yeah. <laughs> to say you can't remember the houses, but you can remember all but one. I can't remember the last one. Ravenclaw. Yeah. Ravenclaw. What, what the hell do they do? They're are, purple. Are they are they smart? <laughs> what the hell do they do? Are they They're smart? purple. Are they, <laughs> they are cunning and... Well, I'm just trying to... Listen, I've been told that I'm a Ravenclaw. Okay, okay, cool. In the films, at least, and I have not read anything except for the final book. I love That's this. where they put the Asian people, because <laughs> Cho Chang is in there. Unfortunately. Are you talking about the Goblet right. of Fire? No. What? Oh. That's, a, that's an inanimate object. <laughs> talking about the fucking installment of Harry Potter, which we were also talking about no, in this no, episode. No, no, no. No, we're not. I was talking about it, that that really comes to the forefront in the fifth installment uh, with the... With the club that they... Order of the Phoenix? Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. That's actually a... The Order of the Phoenix is the fifth. Goblet of Fire is the fourth. Mm. Right? Yeah. Okay. Have you ever done a Harry Potter episode? No. No. Mm. Well, let's see oh. Fantastic Beasts. Oh, we don't. We don't do that. I'm still a fan of that film. I know. Anyways, uh, what I will say in the... Harry Potter films, mm. Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff are basically just there because they wanted to have four yeah. instead of two. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I actually, that's, yeah. I mean, in the books and in the movies. And although I will say, I feel like Hufflepuff is the... The nice show. people. No, well, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I'm saying they're the ones who's most relegated to the background. Because at least I can name one person who was in Ravenclaw, whereas, and I know there are a bunch of Harry Potter nerds that if they were listening, they would probably be screaming at their microphones if they were trying to talk back to this one-way yeah. audio recording. So, so, um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Which they probably will, because they're Because we have furious. very passionate but dumb fans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. Good shaming. Yeah. Nice. Shaming our very small... Group of listeners, we love them. Well, yes, apparently. What can I say? My well, Luna, Luna off. is in Hufflepuff, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, is she? I don't know. I think so. I, yeah. I just always thought oh, she was in Gryffindor. No, at least in the films, I actually think she's in Ravenclaw. I think she yeah, might that be. Makes sense because she's got the whole thing about knowing about the diadem or something. Mm. That is one of the I'm gonna Google cruxes. And she knows the story. Yes, and that's please. How, that's Google, how Google more Harry Potter lore on our Star Trek episode. That's how Harry Potter finds the diadem English. because she leads her to whatever her name was. Mm. So yeah, we're really boy. I'm, if we're coming strong out the gate. If there are passionate Harry Potter listeners right now, they are probably just so Newt Scamander is a Hufflepuff. Oh. How about that, yeah, folks? Uh, that also, Cedric Diggory is probably the most, I could say, recognizable name, uh, which would make sense because he was in the Goblet of Fire, and obviously he can't be in Gryffindor, or I don't remember who, yeah. the, who are the other. Or he can't compete against yeah, Harry Potter, the, and he no, becomes... Wait a minute. No, that wouldn't make sense because actually... one represented from the school. Yeah, so it wouldn't be by house, so really, it, it, yeah. They do change the rules, though, because Harry's name was in there. True. Oh. Because... Well, if he got it in there... Birdie Jr. put his name in. Oh, boy. Mm. What a little devil. I know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we are way off. Yeah. But that's okay. We're talking about We got to move away from the... Uh, I'm enjoying the, the, this the, more. The English uh, countryside and blast off into outer space or into darkness. 
Well put. Mm. <laughs> hey, someone's got to steer the ship. Apparently not. Apparently it can just go. Yeah. I was going to say, that's why they made autopilot. <laughs> so, the film, which may or may not be divisive, surrounds the crew of the Enterprise as they find themselves in an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization as Captain Kirk leads a manhunt to a war zone world to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. Wait, they find themselves in an unstoppable force of terror? Yes. Hmm. That's literally how... May I see? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that you misread it. I just need to see it with my own eyes that they literally... They don't, no, they, sorry. They find an unstoppable force of terror. Ah, okay. I okay. misread it. All right, I'm okay. sorry. No, it's okay. No. no. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't put it past them to... to no. To write that. Uh, mm-hmm. They find an unstoppable force of terror. Who stars in this film? So, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Because this film has returning characters from the first... Uh, Star Trek film, which came out in 2009, mm-hmm. first of this era, at least. Yep. Uh, I give it points for that. What's that? For bringing characters back from that first movie. Yeah. Uh, that's so, some, that's some. What what makes you say that? That's some high level that shade was, that right was a there. Joke. Yeah. Oh. That's some high level shade. It's like I, I, I give them credit for bringing back those actors from the first film because that's that's some sophisticated shade against the first film, Nick. Against the first film. Yeah. No, against the second film? Uh-huh. Like, as if the goodwill it would garner would be established with doing the bare minimum? Yeah. Why are you agreeing? You just, <laughs> you just I thought you, I thought the you, exact I, opposite. I'm sorry. I thought you were just throwing shade on the first film. I thought it was very clever. No, I'm, anyway. Oh, okay. Please continue, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris Pine returns as Captain Kirk, and also Zachary Quinto mm-hmm. reprises his role as Spock. Also, Zoe Saldana and Carl Urban return, along with John Cho, Anton Yelchin, Bruce Greenwood, and Simon Pegg. And who's the special guest star? I haven't gotten there yet, okay. but if you give me a chance, <laughs> okay. I might be able to get there. Yeah. So the film brings on a couple new characters, including Benedict Cumberbatch, who may or may not be playing Khan in this film. Also, Maybe. yeah. Also, uh, this has an appearance by Peter Weller, mm-hmm. who famously played RoboCop. Yeah. And also, too, we have a couple other people showing up here whose careers didn't really take off like they hoped they would, including Alice Eve, who was kind of... Eye candy. A little... Well, yeah, but in terms of, like, she was in things around this time, so mm-hmm. she was having some sort of an impact in Hollywood. And she appeared here to have a scene where she's in her underwear, and that's basically it. Yep. That was literally just a trailer shot. And then they just wove that into the film itself and that's pretty much the the peak of her character just being ogled and yeah that's really unfortunate damn anyway anyways also jj abrams returned and directed this film after directing the first star trek and then proceeded to immediately leave this crew and go and do star wars force awakens betty did I gotta say... That's what he really wanted to do. He didn't give a shit about Star Trek. This is all just an elaborate ploy in order to get to Star Wars. I think Wars. when he did the first Star Trek, I really don't know how he could have thought that this was like a 
I, I don't think that there is like, boy, I need to make the Star Trek so I can get that Star Wars project. Yeah, that's a big, long con. I'm with you in this. I genuinely think there was a lot of goodwill and faith put into that first movie as far as his intentions of, mm-hmm. in the director's seat. Definitely, I feel like this one, he <laughs> was kind of in before he could get out type well, and close as, the blast doors. as you have mentioned before, Nick, when discussing J.J. Abrams, um, you have the feeling, and this isn't necessarily off base at all, I don't think, that J.J. Abrams is really good at starting franchises and is not good at continuing them slash finishing them. Yeah. He leaves other people and trusts them to finish it. Well, but that's why he was good at television. Because yeah. that's that's how you do television. You yeah. know, you're you're you make a pilot, and then you get a showrunner. And if you don't want to be the showrunner, then that's valid. Like that's you know that's a commitment that's different than just being the uh, a, a person who directed and whatnot. Um, and yet for Hollywood, that's a much different thing because the, it's just the budget is too much for that kind of a thing, and the weight between projects and whatever output is it just can't it, it's just not built for that kind of jj model yeah i will say though he did make the first new star wars got out and it appeared that although i think he was an executive producer in the last film and probably would have been on the third it seemed as though he was out and then they were desperate for the most part i think and then brought him back just because they wanted somebody who had name with a name who was familiar with the series yes so, yeah. there you go. Just the third film in the last five years that they've lost a director on midway through. So, it's going great. It's great. It's going yeah. great. Although, I will say... Who's the third? I can well, think they, of... they fired Josh Trank. Right. Yep. And then they got rid of the Lord Mil- Miller. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then they fired Colin. Colin Trevorrow. Yep. Oh, I was thinking Josh Trank and Colin Trevorrow were the same person. <laughs> no. Like, you... genuinely at at that moment. Damn. Yeah. Okay. I mean... Yeah, that makes sense. Their work is so <laughs> subpar that it just sort of, like, blurs into one another. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of stuff going on with uh, Josh Trank and his uh, his circle of associates. We're well, not according going... to him, that's not in his circle. Oh, he's got his own... He's got his own trouble. He's got his own well... history. Stuff. Josh Trank. Josh Trank. Yeah, I don't. I, I guess, don't believe I, there's anything guess, out there that I'm aware of. I mean, not that I really need nothing to go on, off. Nothing on par with that of like his associate. But well, um, can you please enlighten the class? Because I genuinely don't know. Well, I'm talking about um, Max Landis, sort of making an oblique a reference to uh, Max Landis and the um, recent allegations made against him uh, with regards to. Um, both sexual and emotional um, abuse, a history of, of, right. of storied sexual and emotional abuse. And then I'm talking sort of about Josh Trank, not in the same extreme as that, but also the stories of like his uh, temperament and inability to um, direct, basically, with regards to uh, Fantastic Four. Well, that's, I mean, a kind of a different I know that's a different thing. extreme, but like literally when you hear like hear stories about him like getting into shouting matches and about to like fist fight Miles Turner like Miles Teller is that like, <laughs> Miles yeah Miles, yeah, Miles Teller Turner. the uh the the main the basketball the, player from the Indiana Pacers <laughs> yeah basically the 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 main character for his Beat actual film um and him like losing a high profile like 
I mean, think out of that. I was like, I don't think that those are on the same par, but I'm saying that he's not without his own like uh, level of well, controversy. Okay. Associated I mean, that. everybody says that fair. David Fincher's an asshole too, and yet I mean, I would believe it. Most people think he's a great director. I mean, so. it's yeah. possible to be both, right? Josh Trank, uh, we've talked about him a few times on the podcast previously. He's had a rough go of it recently. Uh, Fantastic Four didn't work out and Start got Warson. kicked out of Star Wars. Yep. And now he's doing this project with Tom Hardy about Al Capone that looks like an absolute disaster. <laughs> um, but he did have some very um, strong words, I would say, regarding Max Landis. Yeah, he, he, sa- he said that he hadn't associated with him in like years. And which, that, that it, was it, part it, of the reason why Chronicle, which is a movie yeah. that I actually really enjoy. I was going to say, if anybody um, doesn't know... Uh, Josh Trank directed Chronicle. That was Max like, Landis was one of the screenwriters. Yeah, for it. that was actually his. Uh, I think that might have been both of their first projects. Maybe, maybe Max Landis had worked on some other stuff. I'm, I'm not really aware of that, but I think that might have been actually what introduced uh, both of them into the actual industry as, as working professionals. Um, yeah, the whole thing with Max Landis is uh, part of the reason, apparently, why Chronicle never got a. Uh, a sequel, even though that film was relatively well-received when it came out. Well, I didn't realize until this past, like, 24, 48-hour news cycle that anyone wanted a sequel to Chronicle. <laughs> I say that as someone who loves that movie. Yeah. But I, I can't... I'm saying that it was... it was. No, mo- I know, it, and it, I, it, I read, it, and then I saw it, that that was, like, a... return. Yeah, no, and I saw that there were plans and everything, and I'm like, but I just didn't know about that, and so it just blows my mind that anyone would think that was a good idea to begin with, but... Yeah. Anyway, yeah. After the fact, it probably sounds like a good idea. Yeah, sure. it was the uh, it was at the time, in my opinion, the best Acura adaptation that was not explicitly Acura. I think it understood uh, the character, like the basically the dynamic between like the antagonist and the protagonist is essentially the same as that of Kaneda and Tetsuo from Akira. and was even cited as a principal inspiration for that. And so, at least I can respect from. I can respect from the fact that at least I wish I wish there there I I hope that something on par of a of a level of sophistication understanding is evident in Taita Wahidi's uh, eventual accurate adaptation um, compared to that of Chronicle because if Chronicle can do it maybe maybe they could do it too so we'll see that's a positive outlook I'm 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 really 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 tempering my expectations because I thought you were going to say I'm really really pessimistic no I mean I am pessimistic and I'm tempering my expectations because you know what I love Akira I love Akira almost as much as I love Ghost in the Shell Um, if not it's pretty much neck and neck between the two but you Um, loved that one so oh no I hated that fucking film thanks for going with me I've I've literally (laughs) I've literally buried that in my memory Um, but yeah anyway let's uh, let's let's switch gears and go back into darkness Thank you for turning the ship, Captain. I'm going to derail this conversation as many times as possible just so we can get Tucson to just course correct don't, this. Don't, don't encourage him. Oh, Come on. That. I wouldn't Urge. So, um, usually I would start off since I am interested in this and I'm the one who brought us here. However, even though he doesn't have many opinions about this particular film... I'm going to ask Nick to start us off, mostly because 
I'm interested to hear your overall opinions on Star Trek, as is usually the case out of everybody on this podcast, you have the most formed opinion on something we're talking about. And Star Trek is a property that has spanned decades and, you know, almost a half of Since the a 60s, century. Right? Uh, or over half a century. 50 it, years. It has had many different iterations um, and also had many different stars from William Shatner you know, to Picard. Uh, Captain Janeway. Yeah. yeah. Scott Bakula. Yeah. And then you have all of the new films that have come out and all the new television series that are planned. And now you've got Quinn Tarantino talking about wanting to do a Star Trek film. And, there's a new series with Patrick Stewart playing Picard, so it's just mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a yeah, it's a franchise you can really cling on to. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, um, it is a series unlike anything that Disney's doing right now with Marvel or Star Wars that authentically feels like all of these different things are kind of their own thing mm-hmm. instead of trying to have everything is connected in this lineage, even though. Tucson was mentioning something about the Picard thing, maybe being related to the movies. Well, but no, that's what I had heard, that it yeah, was set after um, the destruction of the Vulcan, Vulcan. home planet. Yeah. yeah, Which, I'll say that up front, which is that that's always been Star Trek's thing, in that it is only as connected as you want it to be. Like, it is for the Star Trek nerds, you can draw the lines between the chronology and whatnot. But if you don't even have a passing knowledge as you can watch the next generation and the original series side by side and not even really quite get it and why they're connected. I mean, if you watch every episode, then you didn't get it. That would be weird. But I'm hmm. saying if you don't get it or don't know it, they, they work as individual entities. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Star Trek fan. Um, I wouldn't say I grew up with it, but I definitely grew up with it on the television. My dad used to watch The Next Generation on TNT like every morning and night, mm. and um, and so now me and him are actually watching The Next Generation oh, cool. together yeah. and in order and all that, which is fun for him because he just watched it, you know, just rerun and whatnot. Um, and so he like some of the cliffhangers have actual resolutions, and he's like, "Oh, I didn't realize you know this bled into that and whatnot." Mm. So, um, so that's a lot of fun. I, I'm a Star Trek fan. I pretty much definitely, while it's reductive to say this, I mean, I've always thought, and I know I'm not the only one who says Go this. Go for it. But that, you know, Star Wars is for people who like epics, and Star Trek is for people who like characters. And we're just talking about the um the principal like yeah. television like like visual like text that people like Yeah. Uh, the, the, not, and I'm just talking, talking about the, the broadest ex- of strokes. Not the extended universe because those always no. the, these two the for these two properties their extended universes yeah, just yeah, go yeah. into some really um naughty and interesting and, yeah, and, yeah. and bizarre sort of like corners. We're talking about like the core actual yeah. like text. The yeah. A V uh, text only, as yeah. far as no comic, no games, no anything like that. Yeah. Um, I I've always enjoyed the Next Generation uh, at the television series. It's definitely one of the formative uh, television series of all time, and um, I've seen a sampling of other series, and I've definitely watched quite a few of the original series, and I have no intention to ever watch every episode of it. Um, but 
One thing I... It's interesting, before I even get into into darkness, is that when it comes to the movies and television, I mean, I've always thought, not just because that's where it started, but because that's its ethos in general, that Star Trek is a television show, even when it's on the big screen. It has a fondness for uh, a shared continuity, not even necessarily a shared universe, but just a look-to-the-future-type uh, optimism and... Um, just structure in its overall purpose that it it's always felt like something tra- uh, trekking forward, so to speak. Um, and I- ironically, though, when it comes to, like, let's just take the two pinnacle series of the original and Next Generation, um, I prefer the original series movies more than I prefer just about any episode of the original series. What's your favorite uh, original series movie? Well, it's kind of a weird one because... everybody gravitates towards uh, <laughs> Wrath of Khan. I mean, that is probably the most accomplished out of them all. But honestly, my favorite one is the one that most people cite as one of the stupidest because <laughs> that's just who I am. It's the one with the space whales? Uh no, that's a great one. Okay. A lot of people actually like that one. That was um, the uh, the the voyage home where they crash land. Well, not crash land. They have to go to San Francisco during the seventies or the eighties. It's a very much of a fish out of water comedy that just happens to star the Star Trek crew, and it actually works. Like I thought I was gonna hate it, but it's actually really good. Hmm. Um, but no, there's one. I think it's number five or six. But there's one that's I believe I'm gonna look up the title. But it's basically their the Star Trek crew go looking for God. <laughs> they genuinely um, hold on one second. I'm gonna because I want to make sure that I cite the right movie here. Uh, the Final Frontier, Star Trek Five. Oh, which okay. Is the, that's why it's the final frontier because mm-hmm. they're looking for God. Um, that one is so nutty. It's mm. so weird. And uh, what's up? Just got to look in their heart, man. Oh, absolutely. And let me tell you something. Do they actually shrink the Enterprise down and like go into their actual bodies and look in their heart? No, they do not. Mm. Uh, they go to the planet where they start talking to God. <laughs> And whether it is ends up being God, you, you know, you can watch the movie and find out for yourself. But, but it's not. <laughs> but um, I don't know that movie. I just remember that movie having so many great set pieces of fun and uh, chicanery between the three. No drugs were taken by any of the writers. Absolutely not. No, I believe that one was directed by William Shatner. So <laughs> that that explains a lot. Um, so anyway, that's my favorite. But I pretty much would also concede that the Wrath of Khan is definitely like the best of them and whatnot if not my second favorite. Um, So let's bring ourselves up to speed here to this uh, new iteration, which is the first time in Star Trek history where a property has been a new property reinventing and reinterpreting uh, existing characters. So I'll say this. Whether this movie is bad or good, that's got to admit that's the least interesting idea I think you could do with a Star Trek, even if I understand why you have to do it, uh, because at this point, who's going to watch a Star Trek movie that doesn't have characters 
that we don't already know by at least name. And I say who as not meaning like me or other Star Trek fans, but just in general, like why would audiences show up when, you know, when you have X-Files movies bombing at the box office uh, in the 90s, uh, we pretty much learned our lesson that uh, TV does not just translate to screen. Although apparently it does because we're also getting a Downton Abbey movie. So who knows? Um, So while I do think that this timeline, so to speak, is definitely uninspired in general, um, I'll get some positives out of the way, which is that, as a whole, I do love the casting of this uh, reimagining of this crew, and I actually do appreciate J.J. Abrams' willingness, even if it may have been studio-mandated, to modernize the action aesthetics of Star Trek. I just don't care for the emphasis on it, and I feel like that's where Into Darkness really starts to lose me, um, which is that there are a lot of set pieces where, you know, I mean, it's famous for a reason and for bad and good reasons, but yeah, Star Trek is the show when, you know, (laughs) when the ship was in danger, the actors just flailed around on the set to make it look like it was shaking. And you know what? I don't know that we need much more of that, and yet in this uh, series, and I think in this is, like, the apex of that. Like, this ship is just fucking sent through the ringer, and we have whole stretches of time in which we're just watching them run through, uh, you know, just architecture crumbling and... and, Just running. Yeah. And while I I do appreciate it in flashes, like, I do love the brief sequence of Scotty and... um, and Kirk running through as the ship is turning to the point where they're now running on the wall. If it, but most of it is just CGI destruction and not particularly interesting to me. And at the end of the day, they take and they repurpose so many fascinating Star Trek lore, whether it be Khan himself or uh, the Tribbles and whatnot, and none of it ends up really mattering or meaning anything. Oh, look, there's a reference. Yeah, and that's kind of what it feels like. And even when the... And I think the movie itself is trying very hard not to show its hand that it has no reason for bringing any of this into the fold. For example, the call between the two Spocks when we have to cut away from what future Spock would tell young Spock... Because I don't think that they wanted to just admit that he would just sit there and go, oh, um, well, yeah, when I was that Spock, um, this is what Khan did. He killed me. Well, I killed myself, actually. Like, that's just such a boring conversation. And yet this movie says that that conversation had to have happened. And somehow that's the only way they can write themselves out of how do you, you know, to to seal up this narrative, but, and I say this narrative, I mean just this movie is not the overall narrative. feels like a, them writing a, or reviving a deus ex machina from a previous, well, I mean, it wasn't a deus ex machina because that was pertinent to the actual plot of that first film, yeah. where, where like, there there was a reason why, why Nimoy Spock was in the timeline that he was, and it was directly related to the antagonist of that film. It just seems like now they've sort of, like, regenerated him out of cryostasis. They just, like, they just shocked his body to life, like, tell me about Khan! Yeah. No. What? I'm not saying that exactly. It's like it just feels no, like they're, they're just resurrecting a, a, a character and he bringing goes, him back. He's, the... like, one I know of he's the not dead. elders of the 
Vulcan group that's going to rebuild their right. home, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, he is technically still in this timeline. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yes, uh, in the first film, sorry to cut you off. Nick. Oh no no. In the first film, Leonard Nimoy's character has a real purpose. Yeah. And here they just wanted to He's force. He's just part of the exposition. That 81-year-old man into the film somehow, and we need to find some way, and he can't move anymore, so we're just going to stick a video screen on him. And I would also say that it's kind of what I was saying earlier, is that they wanted to bring, or to do Khan over again, and by the time they were getting to the last act, and I think tired of writing the screenplay, they're like, well, we will just... Make sure that Spock asks Spock what happens in the rest of the script so he knows what to do. Like, that's kind of what it feels like to me. Um, a few other things that I just don't really care for in this movie is that it didn't strike me until rewatching it that the reason why this movie feels off, because I just kind of forgot about it just as far as plot wise, is that, you know, they don't get to actually be the crew that they are and to set out on their purpose until the end of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. that is when they start their five-year voyage, and I kind of forgot about that. So while the movie makes more sense in retrospective, because I was like, why are they even doing this shit when I was just thinking back on it? Mm-hmm. Um, it also just makes less sense as just purpose of watching it for myself, because Star Trek is not hunting down a person to kill them, except not to kill them. Although the only reason why they don't kill them is because they need him to save the captain, which was well. Originally, whatever. they're gonna they they were sent to <laughs> well, I know they were sent to they detain just, him. Wink, wink. Like yo, they're like Seal, Seal like Team like Six is sent mission. to detain Osama bin Laden. <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah, um, it it is a. I mean, for it, it's <laughs> nothing about this feels like they are on a ship on the quote-unquote final frontier, going from planet to planet, enacting diplomacy. I mean, for no, me... this isn't about diplomacy. Right, this is and, about killing and people. Star Trek has always been about coexistence, not resistance. And for the movie to go so far into let's have a baddie just blow shit up and let's have our characters follow him around... Mm. It just it just doesn't need to be called Star Trek. Make another space movie, and it's just it's just boring to me because there's so many possibilities and there's so many good ways to do that. Because while Kirk does Kirk uh, speaking as the William Shatner version, while Kirk is a kind of renegade action wannabe hero, most of that's all talk. Like you know, so to let Chris Pine, who I think does it ably, but to let him truly be a swashbuckler, um, you know, it's just kind of that's the most boring version of Star Trek I can think of. Whereas in this next movie in this series, in my opinion, uh, I think it apropos that that movie actually opens up with a captain's log, and we see a montage of crew living and whatnot, because those things were essential, even to the original series, which was much more action-oriented than the following uh, series. Um, But that movie showed them landing on a planet, finding a hostile alien force, trying to figure out what their place is on that planet, but also in the context of the universe at whole, figuring out the best solution and leaving and getting the fuck out of there before they fuck things up. 
Yeah, that's a Star Trek episode. Exactly. As I would understand. And it, the yeah. closest we get to that in this movie is the opening 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And Where they're already mid-mission or they're closing out a mission. Yeah. And so here's what I'll say before I pass it off. If what followed that opening 10 minutes wasn't just repurposing every little uh, Star Trek signifier and icon that Star Trek fans love so much, mm-hmm. if it wasn't so in your face about like, look, we're Star Trek, we're Star Trek, we're Star Trek. Uh, I don't know that I'd be as annoyed by this movie, but because it just does that at every whatever, and then also fails at being what it is supposed to be, it just it all washes out. And I don't think this is like the worst movie ever made or anything like that, no. but I definitely feel that it's a pointless one. You ultimately. don't know why it exists. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's what I'll say for now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I am a big fan of uh, the first two films, in the series, um, and I'm definitely interested in revisiting Star Trek Beyond, um, is it for sure is my least favorite of the three new era Star Trek films that have been made. Um, I absolutely love the first Star Trek film. It's in my top 50 all time. It is a knocking on the door of masterpiece, in my opinion. It is a fantastically made film that is an origin story. It also involves time travel and planets exploding from the inside. And Eric Bana's there and he has a boat and (laughs) it's, it's It's the Bana boat. I know it. There's just a lot happening there. And, uh, it, it all weaves together in a pretty delightful way, in my opinion. Um, now this film I am a fan of as well. And I think mostly I'm a fan of it because of a lot of the things that you're saying, Nick, that you didn't like about it. And I think a big reason why is because I am not someone who comes from being a Star Trek fan. I was just a person who caught on to the marketing from the Chris Pine film in 2009 and said, oh, I want to go see this. I know almost nothing about Star Trek. I know... What little of it I saw, I maybe watched seven or eight episodes when I was younger on TV randomly. But there was enough in that initial first film where he was like, I am familiar with these characters. I'm familiar with these archetypes. Like, I would like to see what this would. You're intrigued at least by, like, how those pieces could then be arranged into a contemporary sci-fi action film from J.J. Abrams. There's just a lot of names and a lot of recognizable images that are attached to that that would compel a person to be interested in it. And I'm, and I'm half speaking from like speculating of what like elicited your interest and half of what actually elicited my own interest when I saw that. Well, film. in the, the first film... I think actually is one of the better uses of CGI actually in the last 20 years. Mm, I mean, it's probably up there with, you know, something like Prometheus or the Martian. Prometheus is a good looking film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of films that have done space CGI. Well, I actually think the new star Wars films have been kind of mediocre on uh, space with that, Mm. but they're not bad. Yeah. I think that's uh, why they work though, because the originals weren't like the biggest budgets and whatnot. No, but they still looked a little more authentic. Oh, absolutely. Anyway. <laughs> Probably have something to do with like using like physical sets and props and uh, well, the the first time that the, the novelty of those images for the first time too. The first, I will say this about the very first uh, film in this series uh, that was released in '09 when. The characters see the Enterprise for the first time. It should be like this incredible moment 
and it feels like that when you're actually in the theater. Like the music, just the way that the ship looks, the way the light is hitting off of it. I'm making it sound like it's this great experience, but it should be. Like it should be this, you're seeing the vehicle that is the only vehicle that truly matters in this entire series um and you it is perfectly shown to the audience that is being shown to the characters in the film and that is definitely something that not just that aspect of it but that sort of attention to those kind of details uh is what makes the first film as good as it is um and that is definitely kind of missing here in this one uh that being said as as i mentioned I really do like this film. I actually am very intrigued by Benedict Cumberbatch and his character of Khan because I think actually the idea of of having him be this this character creates a lot of positive and negative emotion from people. And I don't necessarily know if that's a good or bad thing. But I guess at least it was an attempt in in way. I mean, the idea of trying to disguise his character, having him be Khan but not really be Khan, and just kind of being like throwing that in there, uh, I actually thought was kind of interesting. And even if it was a total throwaway thing, and you guys could both just shake your heads, even David Lindelof, who wrote this, said that he fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying I, just in yeah. the marketing. Yeah, like. If it was going to be Connie, that should have just been yeah. straight from the beginning. Right, Not right. so much that the movie itself is whatever. But right, right. There was no I, need for the mystery box that J.J. No, J. Abrams and I, loves. I, um, I can understand that. Yeah. And Damon Lindelof is an extraordinarily respected writer who's doing really fantastic work right now. <laughs> see, 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 here's, here's the thing. Yeah, I know you're going to do the, the, the whole face. Uh, but he, I, think, I think that he is... He, a, was he is, ran he, off Twitter because... People it, it, hate. His I, guts I think that he's he, he is he is respected. Oh, okay. He is okay. he is is. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not like okay. clapping. I'm, I'm not I'm, clapping back. I'm just, no. I'm just like there's clarifying okay. because we've we've already had conversations about Damon Lindenoff on this very podcast and probably that he's been a part of. Um, I don't need to talk about Prometheus. It seems like a meme where it just like keeps on coming back to haunt me every fucking day. Yeah, you keep bringing it up. I don't mean to. It's like it's it's related to this because he wrote that film. He's like he also wrote um, a majority of Lost, I believe. Um, And a lot of people both within the industry and outside of the industry uh, respect him as much as he is reviled. I think that I didn't really come around to, because I've never watched Lost. I've never really followed that show. And and I think more of that, from what I I gather from Nick, that's more of a show you have to experience in the time for which it was actually aired. I mean, you could still come back to it, but probably probably the the optimum time to have watched it was while it was on the air when it was a a water cooler show, per se. Um, I don't think I've come around to Damon Lindenoff until... I watched The Leftovers, which I honestly believe is not only a great show, but probably one of the greatest shows of the past decade. Like it's, I'm, I, I did not think that I would say that before I had before I, I had watched it and I knew his name was attached to it. But goddamn, that show is great. Which is kind of where is going because I, know, I yeah, feel yeah. like right now he's actually in a much better spot than he was yeah. when Star Trek Into Darkness came yeah, out. Yeah, but I feel like those those lingering criticisms from his previous work either with Prometheus or even from this film, I think like those are are still present in a lot of people's minds. I will say I, 
you're right in the sense that it seems like his trajectory is course correcting right. in a good way. However, I will also say that um, I know prominent <laughs> TV critics who basically refuse to watch The Leftovers after the first two episodes because David Lindelof is a quote unquote hack and whatnot. Okay. And I obviously disagree. Well, it's their loss uh, because so, that. He still holds a very special place in some people's hearts. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Continue. I will say, for me personally, um, who's someone who does not hold near and dear the Star Trek storyline, specifically the Khan storyline, um, I always thought that was kind of an interesting part of this film, which mm. I'm pretty much in the minority there. But I will say, just throwing that little bit in there halfway through the film, again, I thought actually was pretty interesting because although it does evoke this super negative emotion for people who are fans and I can completely understand that it also does create this interesting dynamic with a character that you've already established throughout the first hour of the film who you are now filling with all of your preconceived thoughts about what that character was on the previous show and so it just wears this weird collision and uh, I don't know. I, there's just something about it that I actually quite enjoy, even if the delivery was thought of as bad. So anyways, mm-hmm. that's my opinion on it. I actually think Benedict Cumberbatch is pretty good in this film, and I actually think he plays this villain pretty well. He has a very demonic voice, which is great because works really well in this. He's great in the second Lord of the Rings reboot film, which mm-hmm. is the only one worth anything. The other two are dog shit. <laughs> I love his hair in this one. He looks like Jared Way. He he looks like something. That yeah. hair is really fake. He was uh, he was about to get me to join the Black Parade because uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, outside of Benedict Cumberbatch and Khan, I thought that this is just overall just a fun action film that does have a really solid uh, twenty minutes or so of some really good gaslighting that's happening throughout the middle of this film, where everything happening. Mm-hmm. With Peter Weller and everything happening with Khan and Chris Pine and everyone's doubting each other and nobody knows who to trust. And it really does go on for a good 20 minutes and it is pretty awesome. I'd say it's gaslighting. I would say it's more misdirection, like artful misdirection. But uh, yeah, it's it's okay. it's the first part yeah. is 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 it's. It was interesting to rewatch it because I was just re. It's it's been so many years like since um, watching the film in theaters. Um, but yeah, I, I found myself at least like moderately invested in like the first part of just like, Oh yeah. Why the fuck did he blow up that thing? Like, Oh, Chris Pine just explained why he did that. And then he exploded the whole thing. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. When Star Trek into darkness was in theaters, it was Alex and I's, it was one of our first dates. Aww. Do you at least feel like this film's better than the first film we saw in the theater together? <laughs> the Hangover Part 3? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> and I actually like this film more the second time around. Oh. Maybe because I'm bringing even more Star Trek affection this time around. So just in general, it raises my... I really don't have a problem with non-con stuff in this. Like, I actually think the first 30 minutes are fantastic. Um, the, not to go off on a tangent, but the Kirk-Pike scene, uh, well, Kirk, 
Pike and then Spock in the beginning of that meeting. Like that, in my opinion, was wonderful classic Star Trek of having these strong personalities uh, clash on diplomacy and what is right and what is wrong and rules and whether they're important or not and whatnot. Um, and there are some other moments scattered throughout that I also enjoy, but so I don't like hate this movie. No. I mostly just went off because I knew we were probably going to go more positive. So then I just wanted to no. like and and I I um I feel like this film just has a lot of really fun little set pieces. Uh, it does have fun battles throughout. Um, I do think if I did have to give one. Big negative, and I, I will say that the con storyline, although I enjoy its introduction into this film, I think it does have diminished returns throughout, at least before the climax of this. Um, everything after Kirk, you know, Kirk sacrifices, sacrifices himself for the rest of the crew. That's a very tepid, uh, shall we say, resolution afterwards i mean like it's all they literally beam down to do an action scene and then they just cut to black yeah like and then go epilogue (laughs) and then we're putting everyone back in their tubes and doing what with them we're probably never gonna find out well to be not to be fair but that's kind of a winking setup as to what happened in the the original Khan storyline, which was that he was a frozen person, and then they f- found him on another planet. So the idea there is like maybe they're not learning from their mistakes because to shall we say preserve such evil <laughs> only makes it that much more likely that in two thousand years or whatever, if someone were to accidentally whatever. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. So so overall, um, those are probably my initial remarks. So. Tucson. So, um, kind of following after Alex, I am also somebody who doesn't ne- necessarily have a um, bespoken relationship when it comes to uh, Star Trek. I was, uh, as Nick was talking about before, I was more of a Star Wars kid. Um, I was more into sort of the spectacle of sci-fi epics than I was for the um, political intrigue or the sort of like rhetorical repartee between characters and stuff. And I think that, you know, as I've gotten older that I've, I'm more interested in those sort of dynamics because I think that is very interesting. Um, In particular, uh, I'm reading like Ian M. Banks's uh, the, the player of games right now. And that's a very good book. And I would definitely uh, recommend the culture books right now. That's just sort of a tangential aside, um, seeing as like the continuum of my interest in sci-fi. Um, I've known about Star Trek. I've seen episodes of Star Trek before. I know the character archetypes, or at least I know the the pop cultural perception of these archetypes rather than the actual like direct reading of the text itself. Um, and so, like, I was able to come to the first Star Trek film, and I thought that was I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember it being okay. And this film for me is um, uh, it's kind of tepid. I don't really like the cinematography. I think that it is very boring. I, I know that this is pretty much all like JJ Abrams is still playing in his wheelhouse. He's still got his toy box of Dutch angles and, and chase scenes and lens flare and shit. And, and it's balanced with like these, these oversaturated set pieces set up against these like really dark and drab, like other set pieces like, Ooh, we're in darkness now. It just didn't, it just didn't really do it. Like, uh, like really 
honestly, the, the, the cinematography and the actual, like, like filming of the film just didn't do anything for me. I can't think of a single memorable, like, scene, set piece, or sequence that really, like, like wowed me. I was like, I remember it, but I'm just like, yeah, that happened. That was the thing. I'll go, yeah, they flew through space, and they were following along the little, uh, little trajectory line on their helmets and stuff. It just felt like a Fast and Furious film. It was just kind of like that Fast and Furious film where they like drop their cars out of the... Which is ironic yeah. because the next installment is yeah. directed by an actual Fast and Furious yeah. Helmer. Yeah, yeah. I guess they... they a word. They, um, they, sure. they focus tested that, and he was like, more of that. Okay, why don't we just get the guy who knows how to fucking do that then? But he also then pulled up on those brakes because, like I said, that, that one I would say good or bad, but mm. that's less action-oriented. Like, when the action is present, it is a lot more choreographed, I think, like, yeah. as far as, like, hand-to-hand combat and whatnot. Mm. Um, but that is, I would say, few and far between in a movie. <clears throat> Whoa. Uh, in a in a <laughs> <laughs> Whoa there! In a movie like Star Trek Into Darkness, yeah. Um, with regards to like the acting and the characters and stuff, like I know I'm I'm familiar with these characters. Um, I know tangentially enough about Khan and about Kirk and about Spock and about Uhura and about Bones and all the other characters and stuff where I'm able to like sort of like piece together and gel those, that understanding into sort of recognize like, Oh, I recognize that one line. Oh, I recognize that one scene that they're sort of hearkening to, but it just doesn't really do anything for me. It just feels like even having not had that as, as, as direct of a, of a, of a, an experience when it comes to star Trek, these scenes that a lot of their, them are doing, especially with like uh Benedict Cumberbatch being like, my name is God, and then they just linger for a little bit, and then they cut back to uh, the the like Kirk actually looking at him and be like, he's just he's just kind of like stone faced. And I'm well, just like that that whole lull was for us to for for the audience to go. <gasps> it's a weird delivery because yeah, it's a weird delivery. Well, I was gonna say because these characters don't know who Khan is. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like when I mean they're... like it's filmed with portent, but they don't know who the fuck this guy is. My but the audience, is but the audience does. And I forgot to tell you about Live Aid. Um... <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you tell me about Live Aid? Yeah, uh, because if you if you look back at the the Wrath of Khan, what made that a blockbuster in its own right was because they took a character who was only in one episode of the original series, and the end of that episode, because um, they they basically find this Khan and he's a leader of his people and he's very pissed off. And somewhat rightfully so, but also way too much so. And so he tries to take uh, control of the Enterprise. Rightfully just... pissed, but also a little too much. Yeah. Uh, and he just tries to do that whole barbarian shit and just, like, claim whatever he thinks is his, blah, blah, blah. He's and the Chris ep- Hatterick. And that episode ends with uh, Kirk and the crew, but basically saying, okay... We're going to leave you on this planet with you and your people. We're not going to, like, kill you or anything. And, you know, you have, like, an opportunity to start anew. So this is really a humane thing. And then, zipping off. So when, in the second movie, when they get that VidCon call from him, it truly was a fucking... I mean, I know it wasn't a shock twist as far as, like, he's in this movie or whatever. But that reparations were going to be made for their past actions, however justified they were in their head, and that he was showing up to basically 
even more angry than he was in the first place for good reason. He's here to slaughter them. Yeah, yeah. and that made sense, and that was something they have to actually deal with. <laughs> Whereas here, and they don't know who Khan is in that context, and I guess uh, not only do they not know, but continuity itself has changed ever since the first uh, installment in this series. I, I just want to, like, a brief aside, like, when you're talking yes. about Khan and how, like, he's angry but a little bit too much, I'm reminded of... Um, very short aside, there's a new trailer for uh, the new Legend of Zelda game, and somebody mm. made a meme of like the the shot of the corpse, and it's breaking news: man so angry he can't die. <laughs> so I just thought of like Khan is like he's too angry to die. Yeah, that's about yeah. it. Yeah. And so uh, in this movie, they're chasing a villain that hasn't yet. Establish themselves yeah. with any sort of reputation whatsoever. And that's where, it, to me, it ultimately feels hollow. And I'll say one more thing about the climax of this movie with the sacrifice. So that is a weird scene for me because of two things, which is... Uh, I recognize it. Just that, That's another moment where it just came off as derivative. So Yeah. yeah. Um, so Sorry. To... It, no, no. So... It is, for anyone who hasn't seen The Wrath of Khan, it is an inversion of that movie in which, at the end of The Wrath of, Wrath of Khan, uh, Spock locks himself in a chamber where he has to die. Uh, I don't remember the sci-fi mumbo-jumbo, but mm. it's the exact opposite. Hands on the glass, everything that happens, and of course, William Shatner ends up screaming Khan because he fucking created all this, you know, whatever. Mm. In that movie, <laughs> everything makes sense. <laughs> Spock basically saying, listen, I don't have emotions, so I'm just going to fucking lock myself in here because that's the logical thing to do. And don't cry for me, Argentina. And <laughs> what? <laughs> nice Avita reference. And what? And, and uh, yeah, it's from the, yeah, the musical. Okay. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and Kirk putting his hand up on the glass only for Spock to actually meet it because that is like the furthest he can go with regards to emotion. It's a gorgeous scene because even Shatner at the moment is not overplaying it until he gets to his uh, scream. Uh, and it just makes sense and it's great. And yes, even when Shatner overacts and shouts Khan, like that's why you have Shatner and it's great, whatever. Here, <laughs> we flip the roles and then things start breaking down because Spock would never cry. Like, I'm not saying he can never shed a tear and I'm not saying he's not part human. I get that. And, and sure, I'm sure someone will probably be on their keyboard saying, well, in episode four of season three, he did whatever. I don't give a fuck. Hmm. Um, in general, these characters literally cease to exist as we know them for the sake of an Easter egg inversion twist yeah and not only that but when he died in the second movie there was no plan for a third movie or if not planned there was no guarantee of a third movie so they killed him off they did not revive him by the end of the movie that's why the third movie is called the search for spock because he's still dead and they're still trying to find a way to bring him back oh they're trying to find god to bring spock back no, the search for Spock is a completely different movie. Okay. Okay. And when we, um, in this movie, for him to make that sacrifice only for five minutes later for a blood transfusion to save his life, um, if anything, Spock would be the one who would be able to fucking figure that out. Um, but no, he has to cry instead. And I don't know, it's just nothing about that scene works, especially not Zachary Quinto uh, having to scream Khan yeah. and actually... Uh, 
I don't know, face humanity the day after he shot that and for the rest of his life. So it's just it's just a dumb trend in this current state of remakes and adaptations where no thought is put into what were the original emotions and mechanism that created these organic situations uh, before because it we don't need to because people will go see it. And you know what? There will be people who will sit in the theater seat and say, oh, I remember that scene, but yeah. it's different. Exactly. So yeah. thank you. All right. So that is that's my end of the con rant, which I know. I'm not the only one who thinks that, and yeah. I know there are other people who don't give a shit, and yeah. but I just had to give voice to that. Yeah. That's fine. That's only the valid stance. I mean, that's kind of where I align on with regards to that. So, yeah. But outside of Con, I don't hate this movie. I really like the uh, board, not board, but the meeting of the council. Oh, the after. war room? Yeah. yeah. Um, I That whole thing with, I do like the... That's a great shading of Kirk's character, which is a very short-sighted person, and that's why he's the only one who's really actually trying to figure out what's happening now. Um, it's both what makes him a great, uh, you know, captain because he can think under pressure, but also sometimes a short-sighted one because he can't think of long-term ramifications. Uh, but for him to deduce what may happen to the red just over flooding uh, the room, the red light, uh, before the attack happens. Yeah. I, I just think that's a very nicely staged uh, sequence. That... What I like actually a lot about that particular scene, I mean, there's a lot happening in that scene. It's, it's actually really good, I think, but you have Bruce Greenwood dying, uh, you have the whole thing with Spock, and that there was that really terrible subplot with him and Uhura throughout this film, and she's just completely wasted here, which... Is fine, but um, this idea of them having this fight because of him not being able to show his emotions, which she should have known that. Yeah, it's a weird fight. It's like on the one hand, I kind of admire it because that's Mm -hmm. like that's a couple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) you do the same shit over and over, you're gonna fight about it over and over. On the other hand, I just feel like the writing for it wasn't on par because it was less like she she does talk like she doesn't know him, whereas it should have been like. No, I know you're an asshole. I just, that's why I'm upset. Like, and sometimes it felt like it was the opposite. Like, why don't you feel? (laughs) So what I do love most about that is this is the third time I've watched this film in its entirety. And if I just keep forgetting about it, that probably means it's not that good, but I still do like it. So I don't know. But um, this idea of watching it and just thinking, how does he escape from this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, he just does that. That's fine. I mean, is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. I kind of dig it because yeah. I like the idea of him just obviously having a plan and thinking way ahead of everybody else. And everything surrounding that is just basically inconsequential. So, yeah, yeah. I'd agree. Okay. So I'm reading the room, and it seems like there's not much more to be said about this. Yeah, film. I really don't have any more energy to spend on this film. I mean, it's it's you, it's. Uh, I'll I say a couple keep, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, I can keep going. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, uh, with that being said, I feel like um, a lot of the action sequence in this film I actually do quite enjoy. Um, Toussaint was mentioning that he didn't really care very much for the cinematography, mm-hmm. and I could understand that. Um, but I do actually appreciate a lot of the shooting scenes, a lot of the combat scenes. I mean, when Khan was going into Super Soldier 76 mode and just, like, capping every Klingon in sight and, like, I don't know, shooting a giant, like, Klingon warship out of 
sky. And... No, I mean that that is obviously part of the film, yeah. but at the same time, you know the kind of aggressive battle scenes that he has throughout there. I mean, I feel like a lot of the combat is really short and. It almost just happens so quickly that you almost forget about it. But at the same time, I actually think that that is what I actually like about it in this film. Because you show Khan is almost this unstoppable force throughout here. Which, obviously, he for the most part is. Um, And I actually appreciate that throughout. Because a lot of films have these long, drawn-out battle sequences. And they're... they're, they're can be really good i mean obviously the first raid and the second raid film have great battle sequences we've seen the john wick films um this film's known for that but here this idea of these long drawn out hand-to-hand battle sequences are are really just sort of not needed um and you still can have awesome fight moments with them being very short um, and that's something I actually appreciate about this film because I, I think the action involved here is actually really not like screen time wise a very major part of the film, um, but it also delivers with purpose. I think so. That is one thing I appreciate, and another thing that I I actually really like about this film um, is actually Chris Pine's performance, which is kind of a little bit random because I thought in the first film he was just okay, but I thought here he actually is interesting as a character because he is this captain. And I, I feel like the storyline with him being kind of like he was in the first movie where he's this one who doesn't really care for the rules and whatever is kind of there at the very beginning of the film, but he kind of grows out of that very quickly and gets pretty much named first officer, which obviously then he just becomes the captain again because the captain is killed three seconds later. I'm the captain again. I was, oh man, that'd be all. I'm the captain now. He just kills him and that's you know, the whole thing. He just disguises yeah. as that. But he actually, Chris Pine, that is, I've always thought was a very mediocre actor. But I thought in this particular film out of the three, he actually delivers a decent performance as I actually believe a lot of what's happening with his character as he is moving all these other characters throughout the film. I mean, the scene with him arguing with Scotty, the scene of him making up with Scotty, everything where and he's doing a lot of this over conversations, not actually human interaction, which is bizarre. Uh, you know, this the scenes where he's trying to have this bizarre conversation with uh, Anton Yelchin's character who's being forced into this bullshit job that he's not trained for. Uh, And everything about that, I feel like Chris Pine actually gives off the aura of being an actual captain of a ship and actually delivers a good performance in film. So, I would actually go one step further, and I don't think you'll agree quite, but you might appreciate this, and that I actually think Chris Pine's performance gets better with each film. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think that he is basically completely and fully immersed in the role by the third film, and I definitely think he 
in it as well in this movie. Like, I'm I'm with you in that I think the first movie it kind of worked because it was an origin story, so he's supposed to not really be all there yet. So while a better actor could have sold it better, uh, at least it had a reason for that kind of uh, ne- neuroses or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, in this movie, I'm I'm with you. Like in, from that first 30 minutes when he's fighting with Pike, or whatever, that felt a lot like Kirk and what we would think of Kirk to be. Um, to the point that by the time he starts his five-year voyage at the end of this, uh, I just think he's definitely uh, gone. It's it's only when he has to do things that supersede Kirk as a character and are more plot, like his sacrifice, mm-hmm. where he has to really emote, um, hmm. I, that I just kind of go, hmm. But in general, I think he is a worthy successor and a pretty uncanny casting choice uh, uh, to carry this particular uh the Kelvin timeline on... Oh, that's what it's called? Yeah, it's what refers to the original... Yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of lore stuff that... Yeah. yeah there's no... Doesn't yeah. matter, but... Um, there's a Star Trek fan that's just raging. It's because the Kelvin timeline is very important because it's a reference to this one episode. I get it. I, mean, I understand. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about the Star Trek mythology. I mean, no. my favorite episode of any Star Trek series is The Measure of a Man, where Data, played by Brent Spiner, uh, the whole episode is just uh, him basically in court where he has to prove that he has rights because mm. he is a robot. Oh. And should that... It's should like the plot of Ted 2. Unfortunately, yes. Oh my God, I cannot believe you... Really? You resurrected Ted Two. What happens in Ted Two? I can't. Rem- I can't remember. Uh, he has his rights taken away, and he's on trial. Because he's to- a teddy bear. Oh, I yeah. gotcha. Oh, he's yeah. on trial to try to fight for his personhood. Yeah, right, and that's right, on right, par right. with one of the best episodes of Star Trek. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I know. I no, know I forgot that that was the plot. Even though it totally is li- literally what the plot of the film yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I'm way more into just the short story uh, version of Star Trek than I am the this faction and that faction are at war and read the wiki to figure out why. <laughs> right on. So going on to final ratings, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a fan of this. I gave this three and a half out of five. I just think it's an enjoyable action film uh, that has some fun twists and turns. And as I am not really aware of much about the original Star Trek series or the next generation or any other things surrounding Star Trek outside of the films that have been released in the two thousands. Um, I enjoy all of these three films. And even though I've liked them less as they've gone on, I still thought this was an enjoyable film, a solid action movie, uh, and also just a film that I can sit down and watch for two hours and enjoy. So Three and a half out of five for me for Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, yeah, I'm not really a fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a fan of Star Trek in general, so i probably give it a higher rating than I think I would uh, at first glance. Um, there's a lot of parts of this that I like, and I think there's a lot of elements that work, and that's what makes this so far trilogy uh, work as a whole. But because the meat of the movie is the con dynamic... I just don't ever see myself 
wanting to rewatch this if I have the option to watch The Wrath of Khan, um, because this doesn't offer anything to it, and in my opinion, denigrates some of the best parts of the original uh, narrative. If, if this had gone in a different direction and actually twisted things, not just inverted things for f- fun's sake, um, then I wouldn't, like, I'm not a, oh, a, a, a quote-unquote, I'm a purist, like, it, it, you know, it said it, you know, they do it this way, it's got to be done that way. But if you're not going to actually antithetical lean... to the spirit of Star Trek. Wow. Um, if you're not... <laughs> Into if you're not going to truly lean into redefining these characters and actually playing with the dynamics, because you you can't do a moment like what I had mentioned earlier with the con reversal uh, where Spock is sobbing and uh, um, if you just set that Spock uh, up in the previous film and a half before it as the same Spock as before, you know. So I'm all about reinventing the wheel, but if you're not going to reinvent it, then stop changing other things that don't make sense uh, along the way and tell new stories instead, because otherwise it's just going to be kind of a pointless endeavor for me. So uh, overall, I give it a 2 out of 5. I think as a blockbuster, it has a lot of fun moments, and obviously these are characters and a universe that I find endearing. Um... But if this is all that Star Trek would or was, I would not be a fan of Star Trek. Let's put it that way. So, two out of five for me. Right. Yeah, this is a two out of five for me as well. I think that this is. It's visually interesting enough to like put on in the background and to like glance at it once in a while. Um, I think that um, the baseline plot is simple enough to like follow it's like it's surprising at times like i found myself like oh yeah i was like wait how do they do that and then i remember like oh it was like the last time i watched it was like oh there's 17 72 people in those pods and like that's why khan doesn't want them to be like fired off and then he's gonna take over the evil ship that peter weller did and he's gonna perform mass genocide because he's a you know um genetic like supremacist or some shit like that uh yeah that's 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 interesting enough um i thought that oh well there is one one scene that i i thought was cool there was one scene that i thought was cool and that was just sort of the the alice eve scene huh no no i didn't i don't i don't care about that um oh that's real nice it it was the the scene where they jumped into hyperspace in order to escape peter weller's uh ship oh yeah and then then they they explain it's like no he's been doing some crazy shit with his ship you don't understand you're gonna get your shit blown up and then it's like and then it just comes out of them just like surprise you thought you forgot about me didn't you asshole and then just like shoots him out and then all those people die on the ship where like at the beginning of the the film like i mean it getting knocked knocked out of warp well that was warp and then just and, and then just getting your shit blasted to pieces yeah. i'm just like and then to pause and then like khan does his whole like uh coup d'etat thing and then proceeds to then shoot the shit out of the enterprise again i'll say this real quickly i have a bit of a problem with the geography here <laughs> um and this is this is getting kind of weird and nerdy which actually yeah. is very interesting that i'm complaining about it yeah Outer spatial, spatial like so orientation. They get, uh, knocked out of warp twice throughout this film, and there's no indication that they are going to be going out of warp anytime soon when it happens both times, and yet they somehow are right by their destination. So that's bizarre. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? 
Like they get s- knocked out of it, and they're like, "Oh, there's Earth." It's like, wait a minute. Well, they're on the final frontier. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They haven't gone farther than the moon. I have no idea. Yeah. Very, very, very convenient. But yeah, well, it's a uh, it's a two out of five for me. It's it's just okay. Yeah. yeah. So, if you out there have any thoughts on this film or anything else Star Trek related, always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or try to find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. Also, you can find all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com. Literally all of them at the moment. I know, pretty much, yeah. It's this has not happened very often, but no, here we are. We are caught up. We are caught up for the first time in like a year and a half, mm-hmm. and we're gonna stay caught up. I but actually, this time, think so. Yep, I'm ready to. Are you ready to look I, me in the eye? I am, because I did it once before this year, mm-hmm. and you burned me once. <laughs> <laughs> fool, fool me twice, <laughs> and I will cut your fucking throat. Oh my god! Okay. Yeah. We'll keep up. We'll keep up with these episodes. Will we? Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> you can find our episodes also. Uh, is iTunes or, or is it, what's it called now? Is it, is it, is it mean, officially closed? Call it's it Apple, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts yeah. or Stitcher. And if you want to find us on there and rate and review our episodes, that'd be great. Apple Podcast doesn't really like roll off the tongue as easily as it iTunes doesn't, doesn't, but just so that there's no confusion. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's a fun little fun fact? Well, behind the scenes, I have a Ooh. cousin uh, visiting. Well, I have two cousins. One just left, though. Mm-hmm. And when they... I, I, I had a hunch this would work, and it did, and I'm very happy. And this is Film Tank, so related, so that's why I feel comfortable sharing it. Hmm. <laughs> um, it's just asked, us and the microphones and all the people who listen to our episodes. That's right. But he had asked me what the name of our podcast was and how he could find us, so I gave the spiel and whatnot. And then he goes, oh, well, I use, and he named whatever podcast feed aggregator he uses. And I'm like, you know what? I actually think it will show up. Because I have noticed that our podcast does show up on random third-party ones that I've never heard of, which I believe is because they pull from a master list, either from iTunes or Stitcher, and that's the only reason why that works. Anyway, it totally works. He was like, oh, yeah, it's in that database, and I was like, cool. So if you have any podcast feed aggregator, give it a try on your film tank. Okay. Yeah. Good to know, and just not a something I would have thought of. Fun fact. Yeah, we're not going to say that every week, but no. uh, just in case you never thought just, about that. Just how you said it. This is just, just yes. like the extra. Yeah. We're just going to take that clip, just plop it right in. Boom. Yeah. Beautiful. The magic of editing. Yeah. Coming up on our next episode, uh, we're going to go back in time and bring back doing a top six episode. Yeah. Yeah. Goes wild. So this top six episode is actually going to be pretty cool because uh, as in the past, and there's nothing wrong with those episodes we've done, but they've been pretty simple in terms of the idea of what they are. Top six favorite Disney animated film, top six villains. Uh, and Revenge films. Yeah. Yep. I think so, those are the only three we've done outside of annuals. And that, that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, but they're pretty simple in terms of the criteria for it. And not that this really isn't, but at the same time, it also requires probably a little more thought, which on the surface maybe sounds like it wouldn't, 
But especially since I've taken time to think about it, it definitely does. And I think that's something that's going to make it a very fun episode, hopefully for the listener. And obviously, I think for us as well. And that category is top six favorite film conversations. So the only thing I will say is that there was a pretty, I wouldn't say strict, but a pretty clear criteria that this had to be an actual conversation and also, too, it should be between just two people. I mean, there can be other characters in the room. Just the two of us. And there could be other people that say something at some point. But this is a conversation that is happening between two characters. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, and this is something that actually when I started putting my list together, because I've started compiling some films as we've thought about this for the last week or so, um, I thought of a lot of conversations that happened that the more I thought about them and went back and actually rewatched a couple of them, they are just monologues with another character standing there listening. (laughs) I have been doing the same exact thing. I keep going, Oh, that's a good one. And Mm -hmm. then I'm like, but the other person doesn't talk. (laughs) So yeah, no, it's a, which means we'll just have to do top six monologues one day, (laughs) which could be fun too. But I think that's going to be easier because that's clearly what's coming to mind, even when you're not thinking about it. There's a storm coming. (laughs) There's a storm coming. But yes, no top six conversation, and it should be fun. And uh, we should, I think, although there may be some crossover, I think, unlike previous top six episodes. There will definitely be uh, some pretty original answers for this, and I think that'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to that coming up. It's going to be a good conversation, I think. Ah, you son of a bitch. It'll be just like uh, the second episode we ever did. Yeah. The conversation. Right. Oh, man. Oh. Uh, although, you know, another rule that I'm studying for myself. Not <laughs> that no I'm more puns. Whatever, uh, no. <laughs> fuck you. Uh, <laughs> um. Is that I keep thinking of certain movies where I'm like, well, the whole movie, the conversation, because that's like my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's something literally like my dinner with Andre or like the movie Tape, you know, mm-hmm. where there's there's just a room, so all they can do is talk to each other. So I am eliminating those. Like I I'm myself am looking for conversations that are plucked in the middle of a movie that is not. That's the only mm-hmm. thing it's got going for it. Anyway, it's just there's so many avenues here. There is anyway. So, looking forward to that coming up on episode 196. So, thank you very much to the listeners. uh, And from Toussaint Egan, Nick Cheney, and myself, Alex Diekman, we will be catching up with you next time here on Captain's Log, signing off. (laughs) 